Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by Its Source Radio. And this week sponsors the California Endowment and the Silver Giving Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Finsterwald. It's April, and depending on whether you are a family that has wanted desperately for months to return to school, and your children are or aren't on their way back, this could be the most joyous month of the year or the cruelest. Forgive the literary reference, John. Very nice, Lewis. I like that. There certainly has been a lot of movement with regard to going back to school, but it's still impossible to say without more data that the state has promised which schools are open, for how many hours, and for how many students. Later in the podcast, we'll talk more about this in a poll with really good news for Governor Newsom, who will probably face a recall election in the fall. For now, one thing we do know is that the end of the school year is coming in just over two months, and then there's the summer break. Traditionally, many districts have offered credit recovery and academic catch-up classes, and some schools have had camps and summer enrichment programs to engage and expand learning opportunities. This summer, Lewis, administrators and teachers who frankly are already exhausted from a year in dealing with COVID, they face an unprecedented need to address the impact of disrupted learning on students, as well as students' emotional and mental health issues. This week, we'll talk about the opportunities to use the summer break to address learning and healing. And unlike in years past, there is plenty of short-term state and federal funding to help schools launch much more ambitious summer programs. California districts will be getting more than $30 billion to use over the next two or three years, much of it intended for summer programs and expanded learning opportunities. In California, most of the funds are supposed to be spent on in-person learning, which will be very welcome to students who have been cooped up for most of the year. And these in-person programs should be much more feasible over the summer because many summer programs are held outdoors anyhow. In some districts, the willingness of teachers to come back to the classroom to teach summer school after a really hard year for them will determine what a district will do, if anything. But other districts, which have had extensive programs for years in partnerships with community organizations, they may be better positioned to restructure programs that address academic challenges and the emotional stress that COVID has created for almost all students. Later in the podcast, we will look at one school district that is rethinking its summer offerings. Well, to give us the big picture on summer programs, we're pleased to have with us Jennifer Peck. She's executive director of the Partnership for Children and Youth. Her organization has been one of the leading advocates for expanded learning, both in after-school programs and summer programs. Welcome, Jennifer Peck. Thank you very much. Great to be here. How are districts rethinking what they could or should be doing over the summer? California is going to be receiving billions of dollars from the federal government. Governor Newsom has allocated and the legislature has allocated billions of dollars. And this should allow school districts to do things that they couldn't do or just wouldn't even have thought of before. Is that the case? It is the case. It's an enormous amount of money. It's more money than we have ever seen come in the door for these programs. With the state money, They have choices how to spend that money between summer and school year and are gonna really have to think about that carefully. In the federal money, there is a carve out for summer. So a portion of that money needs to be spent in the summer as a priority. But I do think districts are gonna have to think very carefully about 
how they address near-term needs this coming summer and into next school year, and also how they want to spread this money out over the next two to three years and think very carefully about what they're going to need at each of those moments in time. How do traditional summer programs integrate with the districts so that it somehow makes sense as a next step? I was pleased in the state funding that there's a real emphasis on the social emotional supports that kids are going to need. And I think a lot of people and a lot of the districts we're talking to really understand that that has to be the priority for this summer. Learning loss is obviously a real thing, but we're gonna have to address that over time. For many kids this coming summer, it's gonna be the first time that they are back in person with peers and with adults in a structured setting. A huge amount of work has been done in California through our county offices and through the state and a lot of districts in social emotional learning. And another big asset that we really have to capitalize on are our local community-based youth service providers who typically are partnering with districts during the year and many of them run summer programs, and they are real experts in social-emotional supports. They are real experts in relationship building. The staff are often living in the same communities as the kids and families that they are serving. They speak the language, and I think they have to really be utilized in a big way this coming summer and into next year. What are some of the best practices? What are some of the things that school districts should be thinking about when they are putting together their summer programs? First of all, there's a lot we know from research over many, many years on the kinds of summer programs that get to both academic and well-being outcomes for young people. And that includes a really strong enrichment-based program that's full day, that operates for five to six weeks, that uses a blended staffing model between teachers and other trained educators and community-based staff who can really take charge of that enrichment piece. And programs that are really designed around student interests so that students will come consistently because consistent attendance in these programs is really key to any of the outcomes that we're looking for. So those are some of the components that we know are really, really important as far as how programs are designed. Are there programs like this that have already existed? In other words, are we trying to invent something or are there models that we can replicate? So there are a lot of good examples in California. One of them is Gilroy Unified School District, who I know you're speaking to after this. Oakland Unified School District has had a robust program for many, many years. Santa Ana has run a really good program for many years. Monterey School District. We have examples all over the place in different kinds of communities. And one of the things we're really trying to do is gather a lot of information from these districts that have robust programs and try to find specific tools that can be shared, for example, schedules and staffing plans and all kinds of things that I think districts are going to really need who are going to struggle more to plan for this summer who don't have that infrastructure in place. I think people are really going to need resources that they can just grab and take as they're planning when people think of summer programs run by school districts, at least, I think a lot of people think of these so-called credit recovery programs. I mean, not much fun with the students, particularly at the high school level, where they're trying to make up for lost credit so the kids can graduate. And it's 
been really, really tough to get those kids to school. Is it possible to rethink even those very basic credit recovery programs or programs along those lines? Yes, we are moving away from the old term of summer school, which has a connotation of remedial, punitive, not a place kids want to be, and this is kids of all ages, and reframing that as summer learning, because that's really what we're talking about. It's much more expansive and really addresses all the things that we want to be providing for young people in the summer. For high school students in particular, who've had a really rough year you know, with distance learning or who have checked out, or we know that there's a lot of high school students that didn't go to school this year because they needed to work. And I think there's some particularly creative solutions we can come up with for high school students this year to match this challenge districts have with finding enough staff for summer programs and providing work-based learning opportunities for high school students. In the Central Valley, they're already doing this through a group called the California Teaching Fellows Foundation in partnership with the Fresno County Office of Ed and the Kerman Unified School District. They hire and train and employ high school students in their summer program, in addition to college students, to give them work experience, to get them interested in careers in education. The young people are getting paid. So I really think we need to be matching challenges with needs and thinking creatively about this. Jennifer, suppose you're a district that's not in a city and you haven't created these partnerships and you're saying, well, what do we do next? I don't know where to turn to. Yeah, there are going to be some unique challenges for districts that don't have a big choice of community-based organizations to draw on. But I would say some of the best programs we've seen have partnerships with libraries, especially around literacy programs. And I think you can find a library in just about every community around the state of California. There's also some really interesting opportunities this summer and beyond to be partnering with higher education. And we've been talking a lot with our California State University system, who trains the vast majority of educators and teachers in this state. They have... A lot of teacher candidates, pre-service teachers uh, at campuses all across the state of California in both urban and, and less urban areas who have not been able to get classroom experience this past year as part of their course of study. And these are also young people who need jobs. So hiring high school students, hiring college students, reaching out to your retired teachers, talking to your municipal agencies, all of these needs to be sources for partnerships. I mean, these are all ideas, strategies that we should be doing all the time, pandemic or not. So thanks to Jennifer Peck for you and your staff's work on on pushing us forward on this front. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's now go to a district that has been offering effective summer programs for years, Gilroy Unified, just south of San Jose. District is now rethinking what it will do this summer, come up with some innovative ideas. And so we thought we would ask Amanda Reedy, who oversees after-school and summer programs for a district, to speak with us. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Well, Amanda, I imagine your school district is thinking quite seriously and intensively about what to do this summer because of all the learning loss that we've been hearing about. Is this something you're thinking about, particularly for this summer? Yes. So this year, we actually are completely overhauling our program, and we have teachers are going to be coming in and supporting students in small group breakout sessions. They're going to run 
intervention sessions. They'll be assigned to a group of 12 students with our staff running the classroom. And the teachers will be able to pull students out for a 45-minute, very intensive intervention component. So in the past, we, we did not include as many credential teachers into our program. So we, this year, we have credential teachers coming in to pull small groups to do the intervention for our students that we're identifying as, as being in the most need. And in past years, we weren't able to have the teachers involved to this level. How many students will be involved in this and where, how are you identifying them? So in past years, we've served seven to 900 students for our summer camp program. And this year we're looking at serving around 400 based on the need for spacing. And in the past, it was an enrichment program and anybody who wanted to come could come and we would serve anybody who was interested. And this year we're being much more intentional about who we are specifically inviting for this program. We're talking with Amanda Reedy. She runs after school and summer programs for Gilroy Unified. So one of the big questions, so you're talking about bringing more teachers to the summer programs. How are you going to convince or entice teachers to participate? Because we're hearing that a lot of teachers, particularly after this year, are not that enthusiastic about working over the summer. So we have our, our model that we've had for years that where it's a already an existing program. And our plan is that teachers don't have to come in and teach summer school in the standard where they have to come in and take attendance and run the classroom. So our program will be operating and managing everything and teachers only have to come in and pull out small intervention groups. So there'll be a 15 minute at the beginning and at the end of the day where they can do some connection with the whole class. And then they'll be able to pull small intervention groups. Our program is six weeks and they can sign up to teach either three or six weeks. They have their choice of how long they want to be engaged over the summer. And um, we're really hoping that we can make it fun enough and easy enough that they can just come in and do what they love to do. How important are community partnerships to make this system work? So our partner agencies have been a vital component of our after school and summer learning model that we've had for years. They bring the expertise of youth development and engagement and the cultural component of bringing staff that are able to connect with students and families, bilingual, bicultural staff. And we wouldn't be able to do the work that we've been doing. We, we opened distance learning access centers in September using our staff from the YMCA and the models that they've had experienced before. So their expertise that they bring in in this field is vital for us to be able to operate the programs that we operate right now. How do you entice the students to participate? Because I'm sure they're not that enthused about doing this more intensive academic work that you're talking about. This is where our history comes to play. We've had kids are always looking forward to join. Our summer program has been called Superpower Summer Camp. So when, when we say that Superpower Summer Camp is, is changed and it's this new model, they're gonna be really excited to come. The credentialed teachers that are helping us design the curriculum that we're going to be implementing during the morning, during the academic component, really understand the importance of making sure that kids are engaged and having fun and enjoying learning. And so even the academic piece that we're doing in the classrooms is, is going to be very hands-on and entertaining for the kids. So the kids will be excited to be there, I'm sure. We've been talking with Amanda Reedy, who runs after-school and summer school programs at Gilroy Unified. Thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You know, Lewis, dating back to last summer, Governor Newsom has emphasized thinking differently about summer schools, and he and the legislature have just 
allocated a lot of money for summer school, for extended learning, and for dealing with the impacts of COVID. So seeing that money and the federal money begin to flow, I would think could blunt some of the blame he's gotten as of late for the slow reopening of schools. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of concern that parents would be super angry with Newsom for not doing more, whatever that might mean to reopen schools, and would actually vote to recall him, even Democrats, even progressive Democrats. Well, Governor Newsom is no doubt pleased about the latest PPIC poll that came out this week on the recall. It was never clear to me how much of a threat the campaign would be, but so far things are looking good for Governor Newsom. In the poll, 56% of Californians say they want to keep him on the job, while 40% want to recall him. So uh, clearly, um, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't parents who are upset with him, and there aren't parents, including Democrats, who might vote to recall him, but so far it doesn't look like there are enough of them to constitute a majority in favor of recalling him. Well, it's been a tough year, and a lot of people's view of government is has to do with how they feel as they go out the front door and how the economy is doing. And so maybe if he has weathered this much and there's general recognition with more people getting vaccinated and perhaps finally there may not be another surge and we might be through this mess, uh, things are looking better. And when things are looking better, politicians benefit from that. We'll have to see how things all play out in the next few months. So, you know, one of the questions is to what extent will kids be back in school in the fall for something approximating a normal school environment? I mean, I think everyone is thinking, oh, by the fall, kids will be back in school in person. But, you know, there are warning signs out there. We don't know how things will play out. And many of the community colleges are, in fact, predicting that they will not be back for mostly in-person learning. Well, it's puzzling to me at this point that that decision would be made. And all I can say is that if we start the fall and students are in distance learning or they're in a hybrid situation that parents are unhappy, that doesn't look good for the governor at that point. But I think he's aware of it. That's not a very good situation to be for students and for him personally. Well, certainly at this point, though, John, things seem to be moving in the right direction. More schools opening, some innovative summer programs on deck with even the good news this week that vaccination trials for 12 to 15-year-olds were 100% effective, opening the door potentially for teenagers and even younger kids to get the vaccine before September. And on that note, that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.